Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. In 2016, after months of campaigning by activists, lawyers and politicians, the British government finally agreed to bring over hundreds of children from the Calais camp. It was billed as a rescue. We have transferred almost 200 children. They are receiving the care and support they need in the UK. It's something we heard about in part one. So if you haven't already, go back and have a listen. As we heard, I felt very, very much happy. I can't explain how happy I was feeling. They were euphoric on arrival. But these children, who made history by arriving into Britain on these new legal pathways, slipped into despair when they realised their future was still uncertain. So cruel. The children that were brought over and now being tortured through the asylum process. There are huge delays in the asylum system. All young people face waits, sometimes of many months, sometimes even years. So why are these children, brought here on buses and planes by the British government 18 months ago, still waiting for their new life to begin? I'm Harriet Grant, this is the story. I knew from my own work looking at the UK asylum system that young people were facing really long delays, up to two years in some cases. Everywhere I went, youth workers mentioned the delays as a major source of stress but I was particularly surprised to find that some of the young people brought here by the Home Office are still in limbo. I went to South London to meet a young man who arrived in the UK several years ago when he was himself still a teenager. We'll call him Ahmed. He got refugee status and then several years later he got a call from a journalist who said his younger brother was stuck in Calais. After much work from lawyers, Ahmed finally heard his brother was on his way. She said, because your brother comes tomorrow. Oh. Wow, no, not much preparation. <laughs> yes, I was very happy. They say, when tomorrow we need to come to see your house. So they wanted to see you had a home, you could take him in? Yes, yeah, because they say, yes, I have one bedroom flat. 
So who was it who came a social worker? I think the social worker just she came only for one week one week after she left the job as well. So how old was your brother when you last saw him in Afghanistan? Oh, I don't remember the time was. Little. Yeah, very little was, seriously. So I know, 6 years old but but very little, you know. How did you Now, feel about seeing him again? Oh, I told God five six times thanks that too much someone to talk. You have someone to talk to talk. now. Yes, you know, always come from school, like no mom, no dad, no family. You know, how do you feel? I pray to God. First, pray to God to thanks to UK. They give for us very good personality to live there. And second, I'm serious. Now very happy to have with my brother. Ahmed survived his own journey and grew into an adult in the UK with no family around him. So having his brother join him was truly life-changing. Like many young people, Ahmed's brother faces long delays in his claim. Say so you should be wait six weeks. Six weeks after, one and a half months will be decided. We are wait, wait, six weeks is gone, maybe more than two. They three. tell you they'd give you a decision in six yes. weeks. After they maybe two, three months gone, two, three months after they send another letter, you should be wait six months. The worst for the children and their families is having no idea what lies behind the delays. Letters go out giving dates. The dates pass with no clue as to what will happen. When after the home office, they send me the six months later for you should be wait six months. They, my brothers come end of the 2016. 16 is finished, 17 is finished, now 2018, maybe tomorrow, next day they want to finish. But still waiting. Are you, are you worried that your brother will be refused? Of course I live to be my brother, my whole life with me. Because maybe 19 years I didn't see in family love. Now I, I look after them like baby. So, I swear, you know, like you are own child. So you were apart from your family so long that now you can't bear the thought yes. that he would be taken away. Seriously, if you could go and decide like that things, I want to kill myself. If they But, refuse yes, him? Yes, if they refuse him. So why are these young people still in limbo? Weren't they rescued by the British government and given a new beginning here? Part of the answer is that from a legal perspective... While they may have felt the process was the end of uncertainty, all that was happening was that their asylum claims were transferred here to the UK. They didn't arrive as legally recognised refugees. That means once they got here, they have to find a lawyer, apply for legal aid, and then in one short interview, tell their whole story to someone they've never met before. Then they wait. And waiting is something that is currently taking a very, very long time. I've heard from several people who work with these children that the wait is so distressing it's worsening mental health problems and in some cases leading to self-harm. And stuck in some mud. And so she was heroic and said, that's OK, I'll help. In episode one, we met Liz Clegg, a firewoman-turned-tiger mother who spent two years living in the Calais jungle with unaccompanied children. She's now helping them start their new lives here in the UK. 
but she says the journey isn't over for as long as their future here is uncertain. It's the asylum process and placements that I see cause the most stress in their lives. And, of course, that triggers any sort of hidden traumas. You mentioned self-harm. You've seen that in some of the kids that were brought over legally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we see it quite a lot. Can you pick that apart as a consequence of what they've been through and the current delays they're facing and having to go through the asylum system? The anxiety of it, you know, it's it's a roller coaster for them to get to the UK is kind of euphoric. It's regardless of what we tell children or, you know, even if it's in their first language, the concepts that we're asking them to understand are not on their radar. And I think we'd all be aware that if you tried to sit down with your own children and explain the National Health Service or social care to a teenager, you know, it's not going to sink in. One thing the young people find really stressful is being age assessed. So we're actually bringing children here and then age assessing them. Why would you do that to a vulnerable young person? It's a great terror to young asylum seekers. A social worker can decide that they look older than they say they are. Bringing them closer to 18, the age at which you can be deported if they decide not to give you asylum. Being disbelieved is stressful in itself. The fear of forced removal is an all-pervading terror. Liz believes the Home Office shouldn't be submitting these children to further hostile interrogation, having brought them here from Calais. If a British kid rocked up and said, everybody in my village was murdered and I watched my mum die with my sister and brothers, I ran away and a smuggler got me and on my journey I starved and I watched other people die, I was raped in a camp. I'm on my own. That child in the UK would receive specialist support, therapists. These children are sent to a lawyer with nobody experienced and then to an office at the Home Office of metal chairs that are chained to the floor and that's their experience. What's up, what are you doing? Oh, what? You okay. chilling. These are some of the boys from Calais that Liz is now helping in Birmingham. Of course, in many ways, these boys are just normal teenagers. In making this podcast, I've met a lot of people who are doing their best to make sure these young people can actually have some fun, to just let them be kids. And that's why I'm heading back to Brighton. I'm walking along Brighton seafront on my way to a party. This is the Hummingbird Project here in Brighton, are a group that work with a lot of young refugees. They were based in Calais and now they're over here in Brighton. Tonight's event is going to be partly a celebration of Afghan culture. I know there's going to be some Afghan dancing. And I think more than anything, these young refugees want to be normal and they want to move forward with their life. They don't want to be defined by being an asylum seeker or a refugee. They're just teenagers, so I think it's going to be really nice to be able to see these young people actually enjoying themselves. 
for once. We want our young people to kind of eventually start to move on away from their traumas and start a new life and that's really where we want to get with with the young person but how can you do that when you have over your head that you might be deported? This is Elaine Ortiz. She first met these young people in Calais where she was doing aid work. She set up a foundation, the Hummingbird Project named so because as she explained to me the hummingbird is a little bird but it does what it can. A lot of the cases that I've worked with, because I've worked with a lot of Afghans, and some of them have been here two years and they've still not got an outcome for their asylum. In fact, one of them who'd waited one and a half years just for their initial interview. So they can get to the point where they start recovering from their traumas because they're in limbo. When I spoke to Liz Clegg, she said she saw a lot of self-harm. Is that something that happens among the young people? Yeah, we've seen a lot of self-harm and a lot of suicide ideation. Yeah, we, you, there's a lot of phone calls and text messages in the middle of the night and there's been a lot of referrals, urgent referrals to GPs and also to psychologists because of suicide ideation. With the, the people that we support, there's so much pride and it was the same, like it says in Calais, they were ringing up their family members going, it's fine, we're doing really, really well, we're being looked after. And the, you know, the amounts of phone calls that we witnessed like that. And it's the same here, you know, they don't tell anybody. You know, there's only a few trusted people that they tell and, and there's a lot of hidden kind of traumas and a lot of hidden heartache um, that's going on. But It's not just long delays causing distress. Elaine also told me about a boy who's been refused asylum despite being brought here to join his brother. The Home Office have age-assessed him and told him he's 19, three years older than he says he is. I've been told his family are crumbling with distress and his mental health is, unsurprisingly, deteriorating. And for Liz... The thought of young people being sent back to Afghanistan is a huge worry, given how quickly they've integrated into life in Birmingham. People talk about a lack of integration and, you know, it's not true. It's it's a rapid change in these young people. So in the camp, this particular group are Afghan, so in the camp, if they were listening to music, it was Afghan Atan music and they you know were very traditional and the clothes what they aspired to so when what you know the donations we gave were western clothes and in the camp the kids begged me for shower kameez and if we came back to the uk or somebody offered us some money we'd say could you get the kids shower kameez and they'd be fighting over you know, a new set of I'm proudly and I've really strong done, identity. Really Afghan. strong who they are and the clothes and everything. And within less than a year these kids would not be seen dead in Shawakamese. They would um they talk about football, they um the music they listen to now is obviously Western music but full on and I can hear it in my own home so you know the music that would be blaring out of his room eight nine months ago was Asian Afghan music 
sort of 90 percent and then you'd hear him starting to listen and now it's the other way around so it's 90 percent western kind of rap grime um and does that make you worry for them if they return i interviewed a few people in the camp who'd been returned and who had left again and had come back to calais talking about birmingham and their friends and their peers you know their schoolmates are all here and some of them had actually returned to afghanistan and you know they couldn't identify with it anymore at all it's a you know a deep change it's not just superficial Someone once said to me, building a new life is not a joke. And letting someone across the border doesn't mean they're automatically safe, especially not if that person is a child. Huge effort went into persuading the British government to open up these safe passageways. But now these children are here and more will come. What I've learned is that it's when these young people arrive here that the work really begins. This episode of The Story was presented and co-produced by me, Harriet Grant. It was co-produced by Claire Crofton. And the executive producer for The Guardian was Max Sanderson with additional help from Mustafa Khalili. I would like to thank all of the contributors who lent their voices to this podcast, with a special thanks going to Refugee Action. To find out more about their work, go to refugee-action.org.uk. This podcast was funded in part by The Guardian's New Arrivals Project, which is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. If you have any questions, feedback or story ideas, send us an email on podcasts at theguardian.com. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 